Well, beginning, as we've already said today, we are entering into the Advent season and we are celebrating the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so for the next four weeks after today, we'll actually be looking at nativity stories and walking through those step by step and remembering how Jesus came and how special it was. But before we jump into the New Testament, I thought it would be good for us to go back and look at a concept that the scriptures declare. As we read earlier in Galatians 4, that Jesus came to be our Savior in the fullness of time, when the time was complete, when the fruit was ripe. Now, I've heard a lot of, I've read a lot of things and heard a lot of things about how that was true militarily, financially, culturally, and so many other ways. It, it was in the middle of the Roman peace. It was at a time when Greek language and culture covered much of the Mediterranean world, at least. There were so many things that were happening in the world. But that is not at all what I believe Paul is talking about in Galatians. He is talking about in the fullness of time of God working through history. So with apologies to Dr. Aiken, we're going to actually cover the Old Testament in about 15 minutes. Now, I know that this is crazy, but we should step back and look at where Jesus fits into the broader picture. Because this is a story, and as Susan said, we really need the whole Bible to explain how Jesus came and why. And so we step back into the Old Testament today and look at this story. You know, stories are powerful. Our worldviews largely grow out of story. Our convictions, our values, the principles we believe in largely come out of story. And sadly, today in America, this particular story is not very well known. A generation or two ago, most people would know large portions of this story. But today, outside the church, there are not many people who know any of it. And even within the church, we have a tendency to know bits and pieces We've heard a story about David, we've heard a story about Samson, but how it at all fits together and what order they come, we generally struggle with that. So let's go back very quickly and look at this background. Now, would you open up, I hope you have a pen or pencil with you today because this is, this is your first exam, is on page two. I've pulled out 20 people or figures out of the Old Testament, and I've given you a hint. So I want you to jump in there and start filling out those blanks just for a minute. Let's see how many you know. Can we do that in two or three minutes? I mean, most of them are pretty obvious. Some of them maybe not so. But the first one, someone faced a giant problem and became a great king. Who in the world is that? Someone wrestled with God and got a new name, Israel. There was a man who weeped with his message and warned that judgment was coming. There was a man who obeyed God, built a boat, 
a rather large boat, but a boat, and saved his family through his faith. There was a man who led Israel in taking the promised land. And he's well known for having walked around Jericho several times. Someone played in a garden until they disobeyed God. How about the young man who was sold by his brothers as a slave, but later saved them? Someone was faithful in captivity before lions and accusers. We know that one. A prophet told us that a suffering servant would come. This one we should know. Ten plagues and ten commandments. This king built the temple. And even though he was known for his great wisdom, his wisdom became worldly and actually led in the wrong direction. Here's a great leader who got permission from a king to rebuild a wall. This prophet warned the returned exiles, and he was the last prophet for 400 years. Here is a man chosen by God to be blessed and to be a blessing to all the nations. And a man of great strength, but sometimes he used it unwisely. Who was the first king of Israel whose potential was never really fulfilled? And who was it who said, your people will be my people? And your God will be my God. Who was that great good king of Judah who followed his evil father, Ahaz? Who confronted 400 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel and was hated by a woman named Jezebel? Most of us don't name any children or grandchildren Jezebel. Have you noticed that one? Who was it who said, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening, and anointed the first kings of Israel? Did you get those? David, Jacob, Jeremiah, Noah, Joshua, Adam and Eve, played in the garden, Joseph, sold by his brothers, Daniel, faithful in captivity, Isaiah prophesied about a suffering servant, Moses, of course, ten plagues and ten commandments. Solomon built the temple. Nehemiah got permission from a king to rebuild a wall. Malachi, the last prophet in the Old Testament, warned the exiles, and there was no other prophet for 400 years. Abraham was chosen by God to be blessed and also to be a blessing to the nations. Samson. Great strength, but sadly, his character not so strong. Saul, the first king of Israel, who never reached his potential. And it was Ruth 
who said, your people will be my people, your God, my God. Hezekiah, one of the finest kings of Judah, whose own father and even his own children were not so righteous before the Lord. Elijah, the great prophet, confronted 400 prophets of Baal. And Samuel said, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Now, do you think we can walk through that story in chronological order now? Can you put them in chronological order? That's a little more. How many got all 20? Now, there's a couple of people in the room that should have made an A-plus in that particular exam. I know. Some of you knew all of them. But it gets a little more complicated when we look at this story in chronological order. But it's so important for us to know this story. It's really helpful for us to know how it all fits together because this is His story. This is the story of God. Not only creating men, but working through all the generations to draw those men into relationship with Himself. And how all of that led up to that time when the time was finally complete and ripe for the coming of the Messiah. So let's walk through it very, very quickly. You've got 20 spots there to put them in chronological order. And I'll try to mention every one of them again. And oh my, we're going to skip so much really important stuff. But we're going to go. Okay. As we heard earlier, God created the world from nothing, and at the height of his creation, he created humans, Adam and Eve, who walked in the garden, who fellowshiped with him, created in his image, knew God and enjoyed God, and fell to the only prohibition that God gave them. He set it up for their benefit. There was only one prohibition. And of course, just like a two-year-old today, we're going to find a way to break the rule. And that's exactly what happened to them. And they were cast out of the garden and evil began to cover the face of the earth. As their generations multiplied, evil multiplied until God despaired and regretted ever even making mankind. So great was the evil on the earth until God chose to judge the earth, but he found a man and his family, Noah, and he warned him and told him to build an ark, a large boat, and put into that ark every creature that walked on the face of the earth, and his family was saved. Somewhere around the year 2000 B.C., Two millennium before Christ, God chose a man named Abram and told him that he would start a special covenant relationship with him, that he would make of him many nations, that he would multiply his descendants, that he would give him a great land, and that he would bless Abraham, and that he would bless the world through him. Isaac was his son, and then his son was named Jacob. Two sons that were born together, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob was not the first, but he was the tricky one. 
And he tricked his brother into selling him, to giving him the birthright of that special covenant relationship that God had promised to Abraham. So Jacob becomes our fourth in our list. And one day as he one night as he was going back to meet his brother, he wrestled with an angel, or it can be said that he wrestled with God himself, walked away a changed man, and God gave him the name Israel, from which the children of Israel, the tribes of Israel, the nation of Israel, all derive their name and lineage from Jacob. One of Jacob's descendants, Joseph, you remember that story. His brothers were jealous of their father's love for him, and so they sold him into slavery, into Egypt, where he suffered for a while and then became a great man. And in the end, he saved his own family and people, and they went to Egypt then for 400 years. And then comes along a man named Moses who lived about 500 years after Abraham, around 1500 B.C. And we know that story well, how God chose Moses to redeem the people of Israel from their slavery, to take them out and to take them to, to the promised land. But Moses was not allowed to lead them. That was left to number seven, Joshua. Joshua led them across the river and into the land and conquered Canaan and had the tribe settled into the areas in which God had chosen for them to be. Joshua, a great warrior and leader who trusted God. Then we entered into a time of 300 years of the judges. Now, the people had been given this, these Ten Commandments. They knew how to sacrifice before the Lord. They knew how they were supposed to love the Lord. And there was no, not much formal political situation uh, or structure or leaders. And God kept raising up great men to protect Israel from its neighbors who oppressed them. Men like Gideon, men like Samson. Sadly, most of these great judges were perhaps greater military leaders than they were spiritual leaders, except for perhaps I would say Deborah. In the story, Deborah is the one judge that I can't find anything negative about her. She was faithful and trusted the Lord and a great judge of his people. And during that time, there was an Israelite woman named Naomi who with her husband moved to Moab. Her two sons married local Moabite women, one of whose name was Ruth. And we get that beautiful quote from Ruth. Your people will be my people and your God my God. We normally hear that at weddings, don't we? Even though it was a statement from a daughter-in-law to her mother-in-law after the father and the sons had all died. Ruth made a commitment to follow along with Naomi, and God led them back to the land where a relative, Boaz, redeemed Ruth and married her, and they became the great-grandparents of King David. It all fits together. God raised up that man of God, Samuel, who trusted him, who listened to him, and through Samuel then established the kingdom 
the people of Israel with a king, a political leader, a military leader. And the first of those was Saul, ahead above anyone else in Israel at that time, a man with great potential. It seemed he was so gifted, and yet over time he quit trusting the Lord and trusting in his own strength, in his own status, and the Lord rejected him. And then a young boy, David, chosen again by God and anointed by Samuel as the future king. Now David lived again about a thousand BC, the greatest king of Israel. And to David was given a promise about his Messiah, his anointed, who would establish a kingdom that would last forever. Solomon is the great son of David, the wise king he's known, and he appears to have been a great wise king in terms of governing, but not so much in terms of his personal life or spiritual life. He did build the temple, and it was Solomon's temple. It was a special place where, where God was and the people could come and sacrifice to him, and yet Solomon's own Idolatry began to lead the people astray. And with his death, the kingdom was divided, and now there was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And to that northern kingdom, number 14, God sent the man Elijah, a great prophet, who stood before the kings, who stood before this uh, overwhelming crush of idolatry to Baal, who confronted that evil and trusted God, And Ahab and Jezebel hated him, but God blessed him and spoke to those people. Isaiah was one of the greatest prophets of the southern kingdom. There are so many things that we know about the coming of Jesus because of Isaiah. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. That he would come to be the suffering servant. These are the words of the great prophet Isaiah, who counseled a particular king, Hezekiah, who became one of the greatest kings of the southern kingdom of Judah. Hezekiah saw that his nation was going to be crushed, perhaps, and thought about making an alliance with Egypt. And God said through Isaiah, don't do it, trust God alone. And Hezekiah did and turned into one of the great faithful kings. This whole period of kings and prophets is heartbreaking because we see those like Hezekiah that God raised up. Good men who led the people to be uh, faithful to the Lord and to love the Lord and to wipe out idolatry. And yet then we see the next king come along and actually lead the people in the wrong direction. And eventually the, the northern kingdom fell, and then the southern kingdom was told that they would come under judgment. Jeremiah, number 17, the weeping prophet, brought a message that judgment was coming, that the people had rebelled against God long enough and that judgment was coming. But even in that judgment, they should continue to trust God and look to the future through a remnant. The nation fell and was taken into captivity in Babylon. And it was there that Daniel 
In 70 years of Babylonian captivity, Daniel gives us this model of what it meant to serve God. The people of Israel had a new spiritual challenge here. Now they no longer had their temple. They no longer had the sacrificial system. They no longer had all the things that God had set up for them back in Exodus. And and now they had to find out how can we be faithful to God in a foreign place with no temple. And what God did beginning at that time until the coming of Jesus was to point them back to the law and away from idolatry. Finally, living in a place where they were actually surrounded by idols, they saw the foolishness of it, and the people of Israel turned to God and began to gather in their homes in assemblies that are called synagogues, which became the base of the New Testament church. It was at the end, towards the end of this Babylonian captivity that a particular Israelite named Nehemiah asked the Persian king Artaxerxes if he could return to Jerusalem and rebuild the wall. And God blessed him and strengthened the city of Jerusalem and the nation of Israel was reestablished in the land that they had been promised. And soon after that time, then God sent Malachi to warn the people to carefully obey the laws that he had laid down for them. And Malachi told them that one day another prophet like Elijah would come and draw the people to God. But that was the beginning of 400 years without a prophet And during that time then, the people began to hope for, to anticipate, to eagerly wait for the coming of a Messiah. Oh, there's so many other things that we could say, should say, but that's the background of this Christmas season. God's story. And it should be our story. We should see our own faith and God reaching to each of us as a part of that same story because it is. It's all connected together. God working in our lives just as He's worked in the lives of people throughout the generations. Listen to the words of Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways... In these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory in the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. We're going to be singing, Only Trust Him. May we trust him today. That story, if it says anything, is that God loves us, reaches out to us, and He asks His people to trust Him, whatever the challenges of their particular day and circumstances. Trust God. Let's trust Him today as we sing.